Science is making it harder to keep secrets. It's something that's sort of sexy about family history because for the first time it's you spit in a tube or swipe your cheek and suddenly you have all this information not just about you but your ancestors. Genealogy's experienced something of a resurgence in recent years and according to Time magazine is now the second most popular hobby in the United States after gardening. We were stunned when 1,000 people turned up early one Sunday morning get tested. People are really interested in their history and this takes it to, to new levels. And for our country in particular with our connection to our whakapapa and our migration we're all somehow disconnected from our roots and it's a really great way of putting you back in place. Is it just fun or are we opening a global can of worms? I need to be clear though that it isn't the same for everybody because um, some people don't do so well when a skeleton frightens them out of a closet. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and on the detail today, ancestry DNA testing. Millions of people around the world are buying the $300 home kits to find out who they are and where they come from. But as many as one in four of those tests return an unexpected result. It's a bit skewed because there will be people getting tests because they suspect something is off or they know they've been adopted or so it's not completely representative. But that's, yeah. that's pretty that's pretty full on, isn't it? And that's not the only thing to bear in mind before spitting into a tube. I took the, this DNA test and my DNA is sitting on a database somewhere. Joanna Wayne is North and South Deputy Editor. She's written about genetic tests for the magazine's October cover story. But when you do put your DNA into these databases, you are sending your DNA, this precious personal information, out into the world where it is used by third parties for profit. Profits for pharmaceutical firms and for the big US companies like 23andMe, Family Tree DNA and Ancestry DNA. But it's taking that test one step further and using the genetic matching side of the service where things can get really tricky. Joanna Wayne was curious about her family and that sparked her first story on the issue. Back in um, 2015 I wrote a cover story on ancestral DNA and it was when one of the big American companies, Ancestry DNA, launched their testing kits here which was $150 and you spat saliva into a jar and sent it off and it, it sort of showed you what part of the world your ancestors came from. And there was always this family story that we had a bit of Mongolian blood through the Vikings that had gone north to Russia. And anyway, Your the, family story? Yes, my ah. family story. So I wrote it partially my personal journey. Yeah. Turned out no Mongolian no. blood. So that was deeply disappointing. Wait, um, it, what, anything interesting? Nothing interesting. A little bit of Irish that I, I didn't know um, we had, but it was all sort of European, Scandinavian, nothing at all exciting. Yeah. But the other flip side of it was that once... So there's the ancestral testing that looks at your where your family has come from in terms of migratory patterns. It's very basic, rough, unconfirmed science, but it's kind of fun. Mm. But the other thing is that your DNA then goes into that company's database and it's run through this algorithm and it spits out genetic matches with people who share enough of your DNA that they may be related. Could be third, fourth cousin, but um, people have found siblings and uh, birth parents, say if they were adopted, and back then, so what's that, about four years ago, I had just a mention in the story of the first what they called non-paternity events popping up, which is when you find out that the guy you thought was your father is not your father at all. Uh, it hadn't happened here, and it was just in its beginning there, and then 
In the US. In the US, Mm -hmm. yep. And fast forward four years, obviously the bigger the database, the more likely you are to have matches because it's just company by company. And um, then the follow-up story came about because there were starting to be cases in the UK and the US of paternity fraud where fathers had found out they weren't the father of their children and were suing for reimbursement for child support payments, you know, if a marriage or relationship had split up. And and this was happening because there were more and more people doing more and more the people DNA the, testing. Yep, that's exactly right. And another case where um, a father had was DNA tested, I think this was more a health DNA test rather than ancestry, but he discovered that he had cystic fibrosis, which is quite unusual to find out late in life, but it meant that he was physically incapable of having fathered his three sons. So that set me off on it. We decided, let's have a have a look at this because it's just kind of fascinating about yeah. human behaviour and the science. And it, when I started out, I was worried that I wouldn't find any New Zealand cases, that I might be able to talk to scientists and so forth. But once you start talking to people, it is amazing how many come up. What, just stories came out of the woodwork? I went back to Ancestry DNA, um, but unsurprisingly, they are not very forthcoming with stories like that. I, actually, they wouldn't even give me an interview. They provided a, a statement. Uh, but, you know, once I put, I put the feelers out to a few people um, at university who worked in the field of Ancestry DNA testing and genealogist specialists who often deal with DNA and I interviewed, two of my interviews were through the TV programme Lost and Found. Mm-hmm. But actually, it was pure coincidence that I found the family that I opened with and who she would have happily been named but her discoveries have caused such a rift and such ripples through uh, at least two families and of course on and on and on because once you find out a discrepancy it reveals not just your own personal details about who your parents are, but it affects your siblings and your parents and your cousins. You've called her Jenny Rhodes and that's not her real name, but... Tell us about her story. She was uh, an amazing woman. I met her on neutral ground and agreed not to name her because half of who have turned out to be her family have sworn her to secrecy. So she was a family historian anyway and took the ancestry DNA test just to really help flesh out the family tree. She wasn't looking for anything um, unexpected at all, but when she got the results... The way the matches were laid out of who she was related to were off. The the numbers just didn't add up. She knew something was wrong. So she got, she's one of four. She got a brother to test and he turned out to be a half-sibling. So that meant that they did not share the same father. So then she got another of her siblings to test and he turned out to be a full brother to her but not to the other one, mm-hmm. and there's one sibling yet to be tested. So what? It's such a complex story, this one, because it's not just that her father isn't who she thought it was, but her father, her, her ge- genetic father, turned out to be a close relation of her father. So that's why it wasn't complete stranger DNA, but it was just the wrong amount. <laughs> wrong amount. So, so it affected, of course, her relationship with her siblings, and it's caused a rift in the family because the one brother who is the genetic child of both parents almost blames her for causing a rift in the family, even though she took this test in complete ignorance. She wasn't looking for anything and just in, in good faith. And then the, that means she's got a whole lot of other half-siblings through her genetic father, and he was quite a big wig in a small New Zealand town back in the day, and his name is still well known, and the family there 
their reputation would just be exposed and sullied if it all came out. So they've sworn her to secrecy, so she can't acknowledge them, even though they're actually half-siblings. And she found another half-sibling in Australia, who is now in her 80s and is like like her big sister. And she's been over to visit her. So there's been happy stories and sad stories out of it. And it's very complex, and it's just exposed this whole raft of family secrets. And, And the parents who raised her and her genetic father are all dead, which is pros and cons because it, it means you can't find out what happened or, or, or challenge them, uh, but it also stops that terrible emotional confrontation. But anyway, it seems that she had a really long, her mother had a really long running affair with this guy who was also a bit of a player and had at least one other child outside his marriage. So he was married with multiple children and well, this was all going on. Scandalous. <laughs> that is the side of it that can cause so much heartache, I suppose, can't it? One of the people I interviewed has set up a support group in America specifically. It's called NPE Friends and it's specifically for people who have had a non, they call it a non-parental event because bizarre even the woman who gave birth to you might not be your mother because of egg donations. Mm-hmm. And an incredible number of people have gone through IVF and definitely adoption back in the day don't never tell their kids that they were conceived either through fertility or adopted. So a lot of it is old secrets coming out that way. But she was given the, the Ancestry DNA testing kit as a present from her siblings, only to find out that she was their half-sister and she had a different dad. Well, that's the interesting thing is that I've been reading that actually these home testing kits have become, I don't know, the second most popular Christmas gift in, in places like Britain. Yeah, apparently in America they had a flash sale one Thanksgiving weekend and they sold just in that weekend 1.5 million kits. Wow. I think there's something an estimate because the companies guard their figures quite closely, but I think it's something like 30 million sold worldwide, and more and more into New Zealand. I think the estimate was about 150,000. And as it grows and grows and grows, the more matches will be revealed. And you know, because it's such a fascinating story, when I've been talking just to friends and about it, the amount of stories that come out of the woodwork where something similar has happened. Honestly, it's quite. Shocking's not quite the word. Certainly surprising. Really? But, you know, adoption, you think of the days when teenage girls were sent away to give birth and away from their family in a, some town down the line. And also the other kind of factor is sometimes, say, being divorced was such a shame and women didn't have financial independence. So if you really fell in love with someone, you didn't necessarily break up your marriage. You might have had an ongoing affair. But also there are terrible stories rape and incest, um, even bizarre ones of switched at birth, stolen identities. You know, it sounds like a great fiction novel, doesn't it? But the stories that came out, most of them are from the US, ones like that. But talking to David Lomas at Lost and Found, he's had some pretty bizarre ones as well. And he's not the father. Whoa. It's their last chance to unite their family. Do you imagine going out in search of your birth um, father or your birth mother if you're adopted and finding out that you were the result of rape or incest. It's, it's, um, I think that's why it, it's sort of fascinating on a superficial level because people's lives are so tangled and complicated. But man, there are some sad, distressing stories out there. And the worrying thing is that when you do one of these tests, you get sent your results, you're sitting at home on your computer, you open it up, and, I mean, the ancestry of what part of the world you came from generally is fine. But then you, what, you, what you get is you, you are told who may be data matches and you can message them. 
and um, say, hey, I think we're related. Or, if they're or, on that database yeah, as well. Yeah, if they're on that yeah. database. Uh, or, or even if the, you know, you're comparing, maybe your sibling's done a test and it comes out that you're half-siblings. Mm. You're sitting there at home finding out this absolute life-changing information with no support, and it might come completely out of the blue. Some people do these tests because they know or they suspect something's amiss, or they know they're adopted. But for a lot of people, it's, I mean, I did it, and just never even crossed my mind. Can you explain, Joanna, how it works? Is it still spit in a container type thing? Yeah, the one I did was spit into a vial, which is harder than you think. Once you get your Ancestry DNA kit, there are important things you need to do to get started. (laughs) Takes quite a lot of spit. First, you'll need to set up an Ancestry account online. But other companies, I think 23andMe, do cheek swabs, so they take some cells from the inside of your, your cheek. Next, you'll need to activate your test kit, which will link your Ancestry account to your DNA test results once they've been received from the lab, a process that takes about four to six weeks. There's a lot of debate about um, the kind of quotes junk science of the actual ancestry side. It, it, the science is evolving and you can, they update your profile on a regular basis and the percentages of what cultural ethnicity you are can vary quite a lot. We're not to a place yet where you can just spit in a cup and have every single answer that you're looking for. I think that that's what people need to be aware of. So although the ancestry DNA estimations can be not 100% strong evidence, the actual DNA matches are really accurate. Uh, so those genetic matches, it's pretty unlikely there's an error. So you can trust that side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of there are warnings on the kit saying that you know be prepared for unexpected results, and they have customer services people you can ring. But it puts a piece of people together in a really deep and meaningful way. Even if after that you go your separate ways, it gives you some knowledge about yourself. And of course there's the whole medical side too, which is becoming more and more important. You want to know your medical history for your kids' sake as well. The genealogist, she's quite famous, C.C. Moore, who said it's getting harder and harder to keep secrets in our society. We have many, many people who've made shocking discoveries. At what point do you say you can't go any further with that because you're breaching other people's privacy. It's almost impossible to control, I think. Uh, A lot of ethicists you talk to or scientists would say, get used to it, you know, your your DNA profile isn't going to be private. Uh, It's going to be out in the public domain for lots of reasons. It's, It's a bit like trying to have a suppression order with the internet on an international scale. It's just beyond controlling with Jenny Rhodes in the story, her doing that test had implications for so many other people, her, her children, her cousins, her, this other family. Uh, and so even if you don't have your own DNA tested, if you never have it done, you can still have your personal details revealed because of your connection with other people. So Jenny Rhodes, if she wanted to out all her half-sisters and half-brothers and then the relatives ongoing, ongoing. She could do that. I mean, they couldn't... Could they go to court to stop her? No, because it's just the truth. No, I just I just can't see how you could control that. It's basically goodwill. I guess she, she has chosen not to contact all the people that she's related to and has, has taken privacy into account. But, you know, she's told her her children because it's part of who they are and also that health, they are trying to do some investigation to see if there are any health issues through that line that they should be aware of because, you know, it's her children's lives and her children's children's lives. So it's balancing up the needs of one person against another. Well, one of the people, I, I think it was in the re- research I did, talked about this next 
decade or a couple of decades as being the end of secrets because all those things that we used to be able to keep private before and nobody would ever have known, they're just coming out with, with modern technology. And, and the ethics around that and some of those philosophical debates around privacy, the technology, as it often does, has just raced ahead of, of the conversations of the, the kind that we're having now. It's a lot, it's a lot to grapple with. I want to fill the, the gap, the void, the hole that's in my life. Helping Kiwis hunt for answers. Oh my God, he is the spinning image of our day. Oh, amazing. It, it's such an essence of who you are. Everyone feels slight, slightly differently. People talk about there's the lived experience and then there's the, the DNA. So uh, the, the people who have been... And I talked to an anthropologist who talked about humans being a species that can form really strong kinship bonds with, with other humans who aren't biologically related. And if, if someone has acted as a, a parental figure, a mother or father figure, that, that's as significant almost as a, as a birth parent. But then, you know, um, uh, there are a lot of scientific processes of releasing hormones and that really, in skin-to-skin contact, that really bond a birth mother with a child. And I, I think my world would be turned upside down if I discovered one of my parents wasn't my birth parent because you just it's so, such a defining of who you are then sometimes and lost and found's a good example of that sometimes people find find out that um, one of their parents isn't their birth parent and they find their genetic parent and have developed a beautiful lovely relationship with them and found siblings and a whole new family yeah which is kind of cool so yeah. they're, they're not all terrible stories it's really just very personal some are disastrous and some uh, have a really happy ending yeah you know the other interesting thing about these two big companies um, ancestry DNA and 23andme is that the businesses that they're going into, like Ancestry DNA is teaming up with Spotify to create playlists. How, how does that even work? It's just, it sounds like a marketing gimmick, doesn't it? Yeah. But I took the, this DNA test and my DNA is sitting on a database somewhere and I took it pretty lightly at the time, just purely out of interest. But when you do put your DNA into these databases, every company has a different policy and it is there for you to read if, if you can, you know, most mm, people don't read all print. the conditions. Mm. But in many cases, your data can be used for research, research into potential pharmaceuticals, health research, which could be worth millions of dollars to pharmaceutical companies. It might be studies that you're uncomfortable with. You know, you really do, unless you choose to opt out or don't do it in the first place, you are sending your DNA, this precious personal information, out into the world where it is used by third parties for profit. So you know that when, oh, you, yeah. when well, you agree to it. You I know didn't. That it's, uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't. I'd never even thought about it. I was just doing this as some research for a story. I know about it now. And the other thing I looked at was the rights of police to delve into those databases when they're doing criminal investigations. There was a quite a prominent case either either early, I think it was earlier this year, where the Golden State Killer, um, a serial killer in, in America, was found years, it was quite a cold case, was found because there's a database where uh, it's not one of the companies, but all you can choose to put your data in there in a, in a bigger pool. So if you're a family historian, it means you have more and more chances of genetic matches because it's all in the open source, it's called. And they found a relative of this Golden State Killer in it 
that person's DNA matched DNA they had from the crime, and that's how they tracked him down and mm. prosecuted him. He's been convicted. And there have been other cases where cold cases have been solved through DNA. But, you know, do do you want your DNA to be available to police detectives. In New Zealand it's illegal, you can't. There's a big review of the Crimes Act that includes looking at the use of DNA but I'm really sure that the police are not going to have access here. And the other thing is the whole accuracy, especially with the ancestral DNA, is because I, w- I watched something where they DNA tested um, identical triplets. Well, guess what? Let's see how the Maynard triplets did with their test from Family Tree DNA. And it showed that their DNA was from completely different um, parts of the world. According to the kit you took, these are the results. They all showed British Isles ancestry, but how is it that the range was so different? Erin had 59%, Mandy 66%, and Melissa 70%. And how is it possible that Mandy showed 6% Scandinavian ancestry, but her identical sisters showed none? That's weird. I mean, I don't like it. It's the a exact that no result at all. Same DNA that they tested. Yeah, well, that's a good example. Apparently, people have been have sent in trick samples from dogs, which have been successfully <laughs> analysed as having come from I don't know the Arctic, maybe. Um, so the ancestral testing can be dodgy. And when also, if you think of it in terms of ethnicity, if you're Maori or, or indigenous from other countries, uh, your DNA breakdown can be really crucial to your sense of identity and also perhaps, you know, in a legal way if you're applying for grants. There isn't actually a genetic marker for Maori people because they settled in New Zealand. It's not a racial thing exactly. I mean, they all, we all came out of Africa originally, right? So that Polynesian wave that came through dropped off people along the way who have over time developed... uh, genetic characteristics, I guess. So from Africa to Aotearoa is one of the big anthropological studies being done showing these huge waves of migration. And we're the most recent. But the more and more people, New Zealanders, that do take the DNA tests, the bigger the pool will be. And there is some really interesting, on a more scientific global scale, work and research being done looking at human migration flows that are you know, changing some of the stories we know about ourselves or strengthening some of those stories. And it's really fascinating how the world was settled. That's Joanna Wayne and I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. That's the detail for today. It's brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. Ka nui tēnei.